Well, well. How are you guys? Good. Hope all of you guys are doing well that are joining us from all over the place. And uh, great to be with all of you guys here that are joining us here in person. Um, I am so thrilled to be here as always uh, at Mosaic here at WDW. And it's just such an honor and a privilege uh, to be able to be here hanging out with you guys and exploring the wonders of what God is up to as he reveals himself to us through his word. Uh, For those of you that have been around for a while, you know that we are traveling through an extraordinary letter that Paul has written from Rome while under house arrest to the churches that are surrounding the church of Ephesus. So kind of that region, the churches that were influenced by the church in Ephesus, a church that he was deeply connected to and had spent a great deal of time with, so much so that he had a great affection for the people in Ephesus and for the church in Ephesus. And so uh, we are exploring this incredible letter uh, as Paul is unpacking and preparing the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches for whatever circumstances may come their way. At, uh, at the end of the day, in simplicity, what Paul is doing is what he always seems to do with every book he writes, uh, is though there may be an immediacy in the particular circumstances in which he's writing into, he's always writing books saying, here's the gospel, here's what you are recipients of, And then here's what it means to participate in the gospel. Here's what you get to be participants in. Now go live that out. So in other words, what does it mean that we have Jesus, that we are followers of Jesus, and that we are living out on mission for Jesus now? And uh, Ephesians is certainly no exception to that. We have been walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, through that initial uh, first three chapters of Ephesians, where it's really mostly an unpacking of what we're recipients of, and then Ephesians chapter three midway into four, and now into five, is really the beginnings of, okay, okay, since this is what you have in Christ, let's start playing out what that means in terms of us following Jesus. And the primary beautiful piece that has been brought into clarity through the book of Ephesians is that we, the followers of Jesus, the church, are are, are the people that now, because of what we have received in his redemptive work for us, are carriers of of the profound, unfathomable, wondrous mystery of what redemption really is. In other words, the manifold wisdom of God. We carry... Uh, the manifold wisdom of God insofar as what we display about our redemption displays his manifold wisdom. That's what chapter three said. And then it said, the starting point of that is our unity that we fight to show the world that no matter how different we are under Christ, he unifies what is typically broken, what is typically uh, in dissension, divisiveness. He brings it together. And in that bringing together, that is what he's doing with everything unredeemed. He is restoring, he is redeeming, uh, he is bringing back into life. And so we are a display of that. And then throughout chapter four, he's really been talking about the implications of that, how we talk about each other, how we talk to each other, how we deal with each other, just a couple of different things like that. And now into chapter five, uh, it's almost like, Paul, last week, if, if you were here, steps in, takes a step back from kind of the, here are some of the behaviors you need to be aware of as you follow Jesus that are about how we interact with each other. And he stops for a second and he goes, look, at the end of the day, what, what is this all about? What does it look like for you and I 
to, to be a part of this extraordinary adventure and be followers of Jesus. Here's, here's what it looks like. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And don't be imitators of God because you are trying to prove something to God. He has a way and you as servant are trying to do what the master says. No, no, no. Be imitators of God in the relational dynamic of a good father and a beloved child. That's what he said, right? Imitate God because he is a, what kind of father? A good father. And you are what kind of a child? A beloved child. And so, man, just... Just do what he does because you get who he is and you just want to be like your dad. And that's kind of where he, he stopped last week. And now, this week, he's going to jump out of this beautiful uh, sort of layout, just imitate him, uh, walk the way of love, and he's going to get real practical again. He's going to jump right back into practical. Okay, so let's start. What, what, is, what does that look like? And as we step into this next little passage, um, I, I always get a bit nervous because we're going to get into some real practical stuff, and it's just going to be uh, real about behaviors. And, and I don't get nervous because I'm worried about what you're going to think, or I'm worried that I'm going to kind of like shock you, like, oh no, please tell me, I, I can't, I don't have to stop doing that. I get nervous because our tendency could be that we move our mindset again toward this idea of a behavioral system, and so we say, okay, I got it, I got the checkbox, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, do that, I'm going to follow those rules, and then I will be a good follower of Jesus. And then there's some stuff he says in this particular passage we're going to deal with today that kind of feels a little shocking because he kind of says, don't be fooled if you do these things, it doesn't go well. And so we could get into this mindset that's like, oh gosh, I better do these things because otherwise the punishment's terrible. And so I, I felt a bit like, man, I, Paul, I kind of wish you'd done a little more explaining about this, so that we wouldn't easily misunderstand what you're meaning, because you kind of keep it real simple here. He's like, and I'm like, I can tell them that, but they're going to read it. It, it, it. It's difficult not to go there with our minds. And, and then I was reminded, when you're studying Scripture, the way we are almost guaranteed to misunderstand something, or to take it and misinterpret it, is to Ignore the context in which it lives. When you take something out of its context, you are in grave danger of misinterpreting or misunderstanding it. Context gives us the, the paradigm in which we can say, oh, it could have meant this. I thought it might have meant that. But now in its context, I'm like, oh, that's what it means. Context is a wonderful thing. It is almost impossible to misinterpret or misunderstand something when it is soundly set in its context. So whenever you're studying scripture, never, ever, ever take things in isolation. Don't take a verse in isolation and just read it without understanding its context because you're likely going to misunderstand it or misuse it uh, or misinterpret it. Don't take a passage out of the context of the book it's in. Don't take a book of the Bible out of the context in which it lives. And don't take it out of the context of the whole of scripture. That's where we always go wrong. And this particular passage, when rightly, soundly placed in its context, not only in the book, but in another beautiful way, it, it leads you to kind of go, got it. Now, 
What is this context I'm talking about? Obviously, the passage we're about to deal with, the context in the immediacy of the book of Ephesians helps us understand this passage well. But there's another context that I was reminded of as I was studying this week that I was like, oh yeah, of course, you did explain it more, just not in this letter, but in some other letters. But those letters are very, very, very important to understand in terms of the context of the churches in Ephesus, not just in our context. So what am, I, what am I getting at here? Listen carefully. This is so cool. So Paul, um, when he was traveling, uh, Paul had this evolution take place in his clarity and understanding of the gospel. I, I don't mean that he didn't understand it and he understood it more and more. It's that God seemed with Paul to have him encounter these different circumstantial realities in which he would have to wrestle with the gospels informing that particular circumstance. And so he'd have to write a letter saying, okay, here's the circumstance or the reality. Here's how the gospel informs that. And every time he had to write a letter and do that, he would have a greater clarity of the beauty and magnitude of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Remember Paul's first missionary journey? So he's in Antioch, and he goes on his first missionary journey to the region of Galatia. And in Galatia, there's two cities, uh, Lystra and Galatia. And he preaches the gospel there, and little churches are born, and it's awesome. Then he goes back to Antioch after that first missionary journey, and some people come up from Jerusalem that are Jewish, and we call them Judaizers. They come up, and they got into the city of Galatia, and they told the church in Galatia, you can have Jesus, but only after you're circumcised and only if you follow the law. Why? Because Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Messiah, then until you become Jewish, you can't have him as your Messiah. Now, is this the gospel? No. So what did Paul have to do? He heard about this, so he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia called the book of Galatians. And what is the entire book of Galatians about? Guys, legalism doesn't work. It's terrible. And don't, don't, don't get enslaved by that again. No, the gospel does not. And remember how he starts, oh, you foolish Galatians. How on earth was I just there a minute ago? And suddenly you're like, let's get circumcised and do the law. I'm like, D -d -d when I was there, did you not get it? So he had to write a letter having the gospel inform legalism. Then, shortly after that, he goes on a second missionary journey. Uh, he heads up north from Antioch, crosses uh, west, goes uh, south of Bithynia, north of Asia Minor, crosses the Aegean Sea, goes into Macedonia, and he hits a bunch of cities there, right? Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Berea, Corinth. He kind of runs down the coastline of the Aegean Sea. Then in that, when he's in Thessalonica, uh, there's some trouble in Thessalonica, opposition toward the church, so he has to escape by night, and then off to Berea, and then he goes down to Corinth. While he's in Corinth, he writes some letters back to Thessalonica because they are under heavy persecution. And he writes about how the gospel informs uh, our lives when we're in trouble and persecution, the hope that we have in the gospel. Uh, uh, First and Second Thessalonians is a lot about uh, the coming of Jesus and the hope we have in him and there's all this wonderful stuff. And so he writes that. Then he moves from Corinth. He's there for a, a long time, 18 months or so, disciples the people there. Uh, it's kind of a Vegas kind of city, you know, it's the Vegas of their day. Then he heads back to Antioch and he finds out um, while he's in Antioch that uh, the people in Corinth seem to have completely forgotten the gospel and are behaving lawlessly because they're misusing grace. So they're saying, since we know Jesus now and uh, Jesus took care of us and we can just keep doing whatever we want. 
So Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians, and he's like, what are, you, what are you all doing? And he writes into a lawless context. So he's written into a legalistic context. He's written into a, a persecuted context. He's now writing into a lawless context. And each time he's saying, here's how the gospel informs this. And then Paul travels on his third missionary journey, goes back around toward Macedonia, heads down to Ephesus. And, and he's in Ephesus, and from Ephesus, he's writing some of the, the second letter to the church in Corinth and doing some of that. And, and while in Ephesus, uh, he gets to know this beautiful church. The, uh, he, he sees the church of uh, Ephesus born, the church of Ephesians, and, and, and he's speaking into them. And, and while he's there, while he's in Ephesus, uh, he realizes, man, I, I want to head over and I want to go and head to Jerusalem and then head to Rome and then go to Spain and preach the gospel there. So he's spending a great deal of time in Ephesus and then he leaves Ephesus and he heads to Macedonia again and he heads through those same cities down to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, he writes a letter from Corinth to Rome. But this time, there's no immediate context, not legalism, not lawlessness, not persecution, not prosperity, what he wants to do this time is he wants to write a letter to Rome after he's collected all of this clarity of the gospel. And he wants to write a singular letter that describes the gospel in its fullness without need for any context. Basically saying, this letter will inform any circumstance because it's just a clear understanding of the gospel. Are you with me? Now, where was he right before he wrote the letter of, uh, of Romans? He was with the church in Ephesus. And what do you think he was doing and teaching in Ephesus and wrestling through and formulating in his mind through multiple discussions with the church in Ephesus? What do you think was clarifying in his mind? The book of Romans. So by the time he writes the book of Romans, it's kind of like me. When I'm preaching, the stuff you're getting off of this stage comes out of what God is dealing with me on, what I'm wrestling with others on. Most often when I'm, when I'm preaching on a stage, the people that have been around me the last two weeks, they're kind of like, yep, check, check, check. That's what we've been talking about all week. Because it's, it's, it's what's fresh and it's what's right here and it's what I'm discovering about the gospel. It's what I want to bring. So as Paul writes the book of Romans, we know and we can assume that the church in Ephesus were the primary recipients of all the discussion that ultimately became the fodder for the book of Romans. And we can be sure that long before the church in Ephesus receives the letter of Ephesians, that they will have read the, the letter of Romans. Why? Because those letters got passed around and recopied and passed around. And it was years before Paul would write to the church in Ephesus because you remember, he went to prison in Jerusalem and then Rome and house arrest and now we're a couple years later. So by the time he's writing the letter of Ephesians, the realities that he wrote about in Romans are well foundationally solidified in the people of Ephesus. In, in the book of Romans, in chapter five, Paul writes about the peace that we have with God because of the redemptive work of Jesus. And he, he travels this entire chapter of like, look, do you understand that the reason you're free is because of what Jesus has done for you? And your freedom is bound to his redemptive work. He's got you. He's taken care of it. He gave you peace with God. And he gets to the end of chapter five, and chapter six starts with a question. Since all this is true, Jesus has done all this work for you, and you're free because of him, should we keep sinning? That's what he asked. Chapter six, verse one. Should we, therefore, should we keep sinning? I mean, you're free, right? You're free from sin. Sin can't affect your eternal life anymore because that's a work of Jesus. So come on now. Let's go do whatever we want. Should we do that? 
And then what does Paul say? He doesn't just say no. He says, by all means, no. Don't do it, right? And then in chapter six, he explains. Because look, it would be crazy to do that. Here's why. You and I were once slaves to sin. We were literally enslaved by sin. And we were driven by and drawn by this. And the master over sin, God's enemy, his entire bent is your destruction and mine. He wants you dead. He wants us dead. He wants everybody dead. He wants every bit of God's creation dead. And he wants God. A little more passion than that. A little more passion. You all online, come on, bring it to me, right? He wants God dead, right? So it's, a, it's a, a life and death thing. He wants us dead. And you were enslaved by this. And all of the expressions of what you were enslaved by were behaviors that produced death. But Jesus came and he unshackled you from your slavery to sin. And he didn't just set you free like a bird. Go, little birdie. And then when you can fly back to sin, he actually shackled you to himself. It says he, he moved you from being a slave to, to sin to a slave to righteousness, a slave to him. Why would he do that? Why would he set you free from one thing only to enslave you into another? Here's why, you ready? Because if like Adam and Eve, you and I were just free to choose whatever we wanted, what would we likely choose given enough time? Death again right? But he goes, I'm not going to let that happen again. So this time I'm going to bind you to me so you can't kill yourself again. You can't die. You are stuck with freedom. You are stuck with life. You are stuck with, with the beauty of light. You are stuck with me and you can behave all you want, but I'm going to bind you to myself and bind you to righteousness so that your future uh, consequence is a consequence of life, light, and freedom because of righteousness. You with me so far? How exciting is that? That's Romans chapter six. He's like, listen, this is what's happened to you. And then in Romans chapter 6, about midway, he goes, So, since we were and now we are, should we, since we are free, no matter what we do, he's bound us to life and freedom, should we go and behave in these behaviors that are part of death? And he goes, like, who would be stupid enough to do that? Like, that's kind of his attitude in this chapter. He's like, wouldn't that just be total idiocy? I'm free, your freedom, I'm gonna go do this. He's like, no, we don't not go and do it because it's wrong. We don't go and do it because it's death, it's deadly. So that's what Romans was, right? And then Romans chapter seven just unpacks this even further. The church in Ephesus had a deep clarity about these realities of the gospel. And now Paul is writing a context in Ephesians, not so much about me as an individual. Here's what God did for me. He unshackled me and he shackled me and I'm free now and I can't unbind myself from freedom. Even though I behave sometimes like death, that'll have temporal consequences instead of internal consequences because my positioning in Christ is secure because of his great work. Why would I want to live in death? All of that is clear. But now he's writing in a context in Ephesians saying, what about us as a collective? Because why is he writing in Ephesians in chapter 5 again? He said, you and I carry collectively the manifold wisdom of God. We make it known by our unity and by our lives. 
and by our words. And now he says, okay, so be imitators of God, living like him. And then he says, let's get practical about this. Grab your Bibles. You're like, what? Now we're in Ephesians? Oh, wait for it. Oh, wait for it. If you didn't have the context of all that beauty in Romans, we might read this and misunderstand its intent and its beautiful and wonderful description of true freedom. So he says this, Romans chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 3, but we're going to read verse 2 first, just as a reminder. And walk in love, he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now he says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So just right, it's, it's, it's this shocking like move. Imitate God. So here's what it looks like, okay? Don't let any sexual immorality, impurity, or um, covetousness be a part of your deal. Now, the word for um, sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea. And pornea is a beautiful word because it's used intentionally here to take anything that is under the umbrella of sexuality outside of God's intent and wrap it into pornea. There's ways to translate sexual immorality in more specific terms, but the word pornea just goes, if sexuality in any form is outside of the intimacy of a covenant marriage that exists as God intended it, it, it falls into the pornea category, okay? So it kind of blankets everything. It's just across the board. And it says, listen, let none of this be a part of your life. And, and let no impurity, the things that are just outside of the purity of God, and let no covetousness be a part of your life. What is covetousness? Well, immediately we think of coveting, and coveting is when I want what you have. But if you move it backwards just one step, what I, when I want what you have, it is because I want more, right? I'm not satisfied with what I have. So covetousness is born initially in I want more. When you and I just want more, eventually the only end is, and I want what you have, whatever you have that I don't have, I want it, because that's what I need. It is a form of idolatry. I will find my satisfaction in having everything you have. And so he's like, that attitude, impurity, and pornea should not be part of all of this. You should not do that. Now, for all of us here, I doubt anybody here is like, what? I'm so surprised that sexual immorality shouldn't be part of our lives. We all kind of go, I mean, I, I knew that before. I don't know that anyone here would have said to me if I would talk to you outside, hey, do you think sexual immorality is a great idea in terms of uh, following Jesus? I think everyone here would say, well, 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 no. That's because we categorize sexual immorality into particular categories that help us distance ourselves from it, right? So we say things like, obviously, you know, if, if you're looking at porn a bunch, well, yep, check. I checked that box. It's, it's not, a, not, not a great idea. Some of you here might go, oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just, no, no, that would fit into engaging uh, in sexual uh, realities outside of marriage. Okay, got that. Having an affair, not, not a great idea, okay? So if you happen to be in a marital relationship and you have an inappropriate relationship with another person, that's pornea, right? So, okay, check. And then, and then we might have this one, like, um, any active sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage, that would be pornea. Now, 
when I said that, some of you probably went, hold on, what? Like, what if we're in love? So, so let me go back. Any active engagement in any form of sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage is pornea. And so he's like, no, that's, that's actually categorized in this category. Don't let that be part of your community. All, all, of this, all of this hooking up or making out or jumping in or testing the waters, all of that's a Western and a worldly ideology, not a biblical one. And so we can talk all day long about the psychology and benefits and all that. It's all made up by the world. God says, you want to trust me, then trust me on this. It's all deadly. That is kind of that pornea world. So as long as we are not involved in any of those things, we can, we can let ourselves off the hook, right? I am not involved in any pornea. Except that, Paul does something very interesting next. Look what he says. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper uh, among the saints. What does this mean, not named among you? Now, I've heard this preached on different occasions where the conclusion is that not only should you not do these things, but you should not even speak of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't speak of anything impure. Don't speak of anything that is sexual immorality. Don't speak of anything that is covetousness. And so what it has done to the Christian community is it has caused us oftentimes to not speak about any of these things, which is not Paul's intent at all. In fact, I would argue that the very fact that we don't talk about these things is why we get into all the mess that we do. You know, often I'm sitting with somebody and I'm having a conversation with them and I say to them, you know, uh, as, as you know, you know, ha- being sexually active outside of marriage is, is just a very, very dangerous and bad idea. And they're like, hold on, what? Like, they're not being arrogant. They're just like, I had no idea. I thought it was cool as long as there was love. I'm like, that's not what the Bible says. And because we don't talk about this stuff, we, we walk into spaces of ignorance and we do things we shouldn't or, or we walk into spaces of shame. We know we're not supposed to be looking at porn, but we can't talk about it. We know we're not supposed to be engaged in inappropriate relationships with others, but we can't talk about it because in the biblical community, let it not be spoken of. What we're supposed to do is talk a ton about it in terms of how we can walk through it together. So what does this verse mean? Let's read it again. It must not even be named among you. Ah, named among you. That's different. What Paul is saying here is when the world or the rest of the biblical community looks into our biblical community and they listen to us talk. They see what we celebrate. They, they hear and watch us behave and talk about things. What should they not find among us? Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. The trouble is, in our cultural context, all that stuff is woven into the everyday so intricately that we now have to take greater care than ever what we celebrate and what we enjoy along with the world because while we think, ah, I'm not having an affair looking at porn or, or, or actively sexual outside of marriage, oftentimes we are engaging in pornea without even realizing it and it is named among us. Let me give you an example, right? Buckle up. It's gonna get, it's gonna, it's gonna get a little, it's gonna bite a little bit, okay? Uh, oh my gosh, you walk in and somebody says, have you seen the last episode of Game of Thrones? No, no, please, no, please don't take that from me. I'm only on season three. 
have you seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones? Oh my gosh, it was incredible. And, and are we talking about like the sex scene in there? Did you watch that? That was awesome. No, we're not doing that, obviously. We're just talking about the other awesome plot lines. But what does the world hear from us as a biblical community? That we're watching the same things, celebrating the same things. And what's in those things? Lots and lots of pornea. And then we say something like this. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I watch it on, on PureFlix or whatever that, that the service is, where it cuts out all the, all the ugly stuff, right? Well, FYI, if you watch Game of Thrones on PureFlix, it'll be a 12-minute episode. And not only that, but most of the plot line happens during the scenes you and I shouldn't be watching, right? So, but, but even if we did that, the world doesn't know that. And so what does the world name among us? Oh, they... They're just, like, they're just like the rest of us. They enjoy the same things and they engage in the same things. This, Paul says, this, this is not what the saints should be doing. Now remember, he's not doing it like bad people, bad people. He's like, really? Really? Like we wanna, we wanna go dabble in death and darkness instead of walking as children of light? We know better. This is freedom. Why do we do that? Because it feels like freedom. But you know it's not. Why would you do that? That's what he's saying. And, and now in the context of we can't, we can't display the manifold wisdom of God to the world when, when we celebrate the same things they celebrate. When we watch the Grammys or we watch uh, some of those things and we roll in the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, did you hear the beautiful song by such and such? And 98% of their album is sexualized. How does the world possibly engage with us and not see sexual immorality named among us? We don't talk about porn and, and affairs. Those are hidden. Paul's saying, don't even let the normal stuff be named among you because it's also pornea. The impurities in which we live, the things we celebrate, the things we listen to, the things we love. We have to be a people that think differently about the things we engage in. I, this morning, when I woke up, I woke up early and I just, I, I just popped the TV on real quick out of curiosity and I went to the streaming services that we have in our house. You know, all of us now have like, all of them because you can't do without any of them. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's only $4.99 for the additional one. I'm at $112 a month for the 90 thing, but hey, I, who can live without Disney Plus? But I'm not gonna cancel Netflix because what if there's a movie ever on there that I might wanna see and then I can't? So we, we have a bunch. So I went, I went to several of the streaming services and I went to the TV series. And I just moved my way through the TV series to see how many of them were um, TV MA, TV mature, versus like TV G or TV 14. And, and I'll tell you, 90% of everything I flipped through, TV MA, TV MA, TV MA, TV MA, TV G, woohoo! That looks stupid. TV MA, TV MA, T right? Right? And it, it, it dawned on me, even sitting there, my goodness. Somehow we have become a people that as long as it says 14 plus and I'm 19, I'm good. But when there's pornea involved, it should say TV 124. If you're 125, you are welcome to watch this because you can't see it or hear it anyway. But if you're under 125, it's inappropriate. Folks, the stuff that's inappropriate for our 14-year-olds in our culture is inappropriate for everybody in this room. And what we do is we dive into those spaces like the rest of the planet because they have great plot lines and they're super interesting and they're super popular. And they do have all those things. Do you, do you really think that the enemy of God, his big strategy is create something that has a sucky plot line and then put some sex in it? 
No, he's going to be like, create something that you can barely live without and then sprinkle a bit of pornea into it. And the Christian community won't blink. They'll roll right in. And Paul says, man, no. And then look what he does next. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So he's tying back even to Ephesians 4.29 and what he traveled through. He's like, not only should we not be involved in these spaces of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, but we, we need to watch our words. Don't let gossip be a part of your story. Don't let it be part of your story. Foolish talk and filth is, is in this category of gossip. What we, how we talk about each other, what we say about each other, what we whisper in the circles. Have you heard? I, can't, I don't want to say anything mean about anybody, but... And, and, and when we joke crudely about other people or other things or we, we, we use our words in a way that is, that is crude or harsh, many Christians these days have justified using uh, cool cussing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, maybe we're not going to use the big cuss words, although when you get cut off in traffic, I, mean, I suppose. Uh, but, 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 you know, we, we want to we we be cool. So we, wanna, we don't want to be that prudish, like, I, I, I never say a bad word. And so we think it's super cool if we throw a few bad words around. But what Paul is saying is here is, really, this is how you want to roll? Like, this is what you think is going to, like, make it all work? Like, just dabble a bit. Just dabble a little bit. Don't do the big stuff, but dabble. And as long as you're just dabbling, then you're fine. Why are you fine? Because you're secure in Jesus, right? So dabbling is fine, big stuff not. And what Paul's saying is, no, no, that's not true. What is this category, the way of the world? Is it wrong or is it death? It's death. Do you really want to dabble in things that are deadly? No. So look what he says. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an uh, idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Remember how I said to you when we started this message, there's parts of this verse that can be easily misunderstood if it's not explained? Do you see what, do you see what I mean? I mean, what does it sound like he just said? If you are involved in any of these things, you don't get to go to heaven. That's right. It's what it sounds like he said. But remember, Paul has this beautiful foundation of Romans and other letters he's speaking over because he's already established that's not the case. And remember what the context is of Ephesians. He's showing the difference between the way of the world and the way of Jesus. And he's saying, which way should we live? The way of Jesus because we belong to Jesus, and we know that Jesus is good and free and and life. Why would we know that we have life and then play in the darkness or the death? And so he's like, listen, you know this. I know this. People whose lifestyle glorifies, lives in, celebrates, and dabbles in this. Do they have life? No, they do not inherit life. It's almost like Paul saying, you know that, right? You know that, right? Now look, look, he actually goes on and he makes it more clear. Let no one deceive you with empty words, 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's where he clarifies. He's like, I'm not saying if you look at some porn and you're struggling with it, you don't go to heaven until you stop looking at porn. What I'm saying is, you guys do remember that people who live in death end up with, the word is death, excuse me, end up with death, right? They don't inherit life. And you remember that the very behaviors I'm talking about are the behaviors that are part of death and the people that behave in this way are the sons of disobedience. Remember where he last used that? Ephesians chapter two. When we were once captivated by the things of this world, all children of wrath, part of the sons of disobedience. Verse four, but God, because of his great love, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. This is not saying if you wrestle with any of these things, you're going to hell. It's saying don't be deceived into thinking that you can dabble in these things. A a little Game of Thrones here and there, a a, a little making out here and there that goes a little too far, that stuff's fine. A little gossip, that's fine, just not a lot of it. And I don't want to go look at hardcore porn, but I can watch Game of Thrones. He's like, no. It's not how it works. Deadly stuff is deadly stuff. And we are children of life and light and freedom. So let's walk in life and light and freedom. And let's not have this stuff named among us. Why? Because if we do, God's going to be mad. No. Because we carry the manifold wisdom of God. That's our privilege. We make known to the world the gospel. And what does it do? When we roll into the world and we celebrate the same stuff they do, dabble in the same space as they do. So what do we do about this? What do we do about this? Well, we, we start here. Uh, the book of First John, we start by reminding ourselves of this. John wrote this uh, awesome set of letters. And, and the first one he wrote, the book of First John, listen to what he writes in First John chapter 5. It's, it's so beautiful. Listen to this. First John chapter 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So what he's saying is anyone who loves Jesus knows and loves the Father and we know and love each other because that's how how it works. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Isn't that an odd sentence? By this we'll know that you love each other by obeying God's commands. What kind of craziness is that? I love each other by notes that I write and texts that I send. No, 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 it's by obeying. Why? The commands of God lead to what? Life, that's right, thank you. They lead to life. And when I live by God's way, what do I bring to you? Life and freedom. And when I live by the world's way, what do I bring to you? Death and destruction. So he says this, you wanna know how you know you love each other? By living out of the commands of God so that you bring life to each other. Look what he says. Look what he says. For this is the love of God that we keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. He doesn't mean make sure you figure out how to make his commands not burdensome. I can't believe I can't watch that popular TV series because I'm a Christian. Then you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is Thank goodness I know life, freedom, and light so I don't dabble in deadly things anymore. 
See how suddenly the commands of God shift from burdensome to freedom? And so he says, you wanna know how you're really starting to get it? Where the things you do God's way are no longer burdens for you, robbing you of, of fun, but they are deep freedoms keeping you from death. So when you roll out of here, here's what I would encourage you to do. It's what I've been doing today and I'll be doing this week. And I'm already hearing the Spirit of God going, since you asked, happy to show you some stuff. I'm rolling out here and I'm saying, Spirit of God, can we start with a bit of examination? Where am I dabbling? With filthy talk, not bad, terrible things, but just, I'm just gossiping a bit or I'm just, I'm just I, I, I like throwing around, you, you know, I mean, my wife always, I'm like, you know, what the hell is that? I do it because it sounds so cool. And it's like, it's not a bad cuss word, but I, and then she's like, is that necessary? And then I feel a bit legalistic and I'm like, yes, because I'm not gonna be a legalistic prude. And then she's like, that's not the point. So God's already been talking to my heart and saying, is that necessary or no? I mean, is it necessary? So go and ask God, what am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I, what am I saying? What am I doing that's just clearly not this space? Would you show me? Then, when he does, repent. Repent. What, is, what, is that, what does that mean? I'm gonna read you the dictionary definition. I love when the world gets something right that they don't even know they got right. This isn't even the Bible definition. This is dictionary. The dictionary even knows what repent means. Listen to this. To feel such sorrow for sin or fault as to be disposed to change one's life for the better. Repent simply means, oh my goodness, I see now. And you put it away and you go do something better. Examine and then repent. Walk away and say, I don't need that. Who is enough? Who is enough? Jesus is enough. I don't need that. And then let us tool up so that in the future, before we go and fall accidentally into stupid stuff, we have tools to help us avoid the deadly things and engage in the good things. I use a website called Plugged In. When my friends and I go to a movie or I'm about to watch something else on TV, I never do anymore before I go to Plugged In. There's another one called, um, uh, what's it called? Common Sense Media, okay? You, you go online and they're free and they basically take every movie and every TV series and they tell you everything in it. Almost to the point where like, I, I, can't, I can't read. Oh my God, what? That's in there? I didn't even see it. So I go do that so that I can read something and go, yeah, that shouldn't be 14 plus. That should be 124 plus. These websites rate it for you. They give it a little star. 14 plus, 16 plus. Don't buy it because that's not you rating it. That's them writing it for you. That's your lazy version. I don't want to read all the paragraph. I just want to see, do they say it's 14 plus? You're going to go watch it and go, <gasps> Pornia. Don't do that. Read what's in the paragraph and go, wow, I don't need to be watching that. Tool up. Read lyrics before you get used to enjoying a song. Just read the lyrics and go, wow, no. And let's start becoming a people who take seriously the freedom that God offers us the freedom that we are now born into and bound to. And let us walk as children of light and not dabble in deadly things so that the manifold wisdom of God will be seen clearly in us.
by his grace alone. Pray with me. God, you know how complicated our little spaces are in a culture that weaves pornea and impurity and covetousness and filth and crudeness into every nook and cranny. God, even in the most innocent of spaces, TV sitcoms like Friends that just have tons of stuff woven in that when we really sit back, we're like, oh, man. Or far more obvious things like Game of Thrones that just throw pornea right on the old screen. God, songs we listen to and stuff thrown at us every day and then relationships and dynamics and struggles there and wanting to be loved and wanting to belong and wanting to be cared for. And, 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 and God, we live in a difficult, challenging, complex space. How quickly and easily we can even accidentally have all these things named among us. So we're begging you, Spirit of God, to rise up in us, to empower us, to choose what we know is freedom and what we know is life and what we know is light. To choose you because you are enough. And when we choose these other things to fill those spaces in our little hearts, we choose idols over you and we dabble in dangerous, deadly things. And then the world looks in on us and hears us celebrate the same things they celebrate. And they have no idea that we carry the manifold wisdom of God, the redemptive power of your love and grace toward us. God, help us to be a people that take more seriously than ever these things, not because we want to do what's right and not do what's wrong, but because we want to do what's life and not do what's death, because we want to live in freedom instead of bondage, and we want to demonstrate our love for each other and for the world by bringing freedom to the table instead of bringing bondage to the table. Teach us how to live as children of light and lead us into that way, we pray in Jesus' name.